This morning we're going to look at one of the most exciting doctrines in the scriptures as far as I'm concerned. Now I know that the word doctrine might send some shudders down some of your spines <clears throat> because most people think that doctrine is stuffy and musty. It's like that if you've ever been to a second-hand bookshop where you go in and you pull a book off the shelf and you open the book and there's this musty smell that comes off it because it's obviously been damp at some time or whatever. And so many people seem to think that doctrine in and of itself is really musty and smelly. It's the stinky part of Christianity. Surely we don't need that. It's just, let's just be simple. And whilst I believe that the gospel can be understood by anyone because the gospel in and of itself is simple, it is quite straightforward and simple. The reality is that whenever we read something in scripture, it is going to do one or two things in our life. It's going to form our beliefs or we're going to argue with it and leave it. Because we don't understand it or we don't like it. But we know that the scripture says this. It says that we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. And biblical doctrine isn't something that is stuffy and smelly and something for intellectuals and academics. All of us involve, are involved continually when we read scripture in doctrine. The moment we have an opinion on what a passage means, means we're entering into some form of doctrine or doctrinal um, approach to Scripture. All of us come to the Word of God with beliefs already set in us. But what we believe shapes our behavior. And so our Christian life isn't just about knowledge in and of itself it's about life change be transformed therefore by the renewing of your mind and so Paul later on in Romans makes a statement that is very clear that we need our minds transformed we need to go through a process where our whole life is changed our whole belief structure is approached and dealt with and that what we do is we start to bring our life and our beliefs into line with God's word and as we do that our behavior will naturally change so many of us do it the other way around we try and change our behavior before we embrace the truth and when we fail to change because when we're doing it under our own steam and our own power that is what happens more often than not we fail all right and then we wonder whether we're saved or we're not saved and we go through all these mental gymnastics more often than not it's because we're not letting the truth of God's word permeate our lives we're not meditating and feeding on it. And so this morning I want to talk about justification by faith through grace or through grace by faith. 
In this passage that we've been doing Romans, Romans for a few weeks and Romans 1 and 2, we've gone through, we're in Romans 3. I'm not trying to deal with a chapter a week and so I'm, I'm handpicking something out of this passage of Scripture and it's Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Paul, in his first two chapters, has taught to people who have no interest in God whatsoever. They are pursuing what we might say today would be hedonism, the pleasing of ourselves, pursuing pleasure for ourselves, everything that we think will give us pleasure. And he's addressed those and he's talked about how God has been put and laid aside in order to pursue this other image, this other idol in their life to make themselves basically happy he's then taught to those who when they look at what Paul was saying to them sort of stood back and said well yeah I appreciate what you might be saying but I'm not as bad as those people you know I help out in the lunch club or I do this or I do that I help out at the drop-ins I always try and do good to people I don't try and do anybody any harm I'm not like those people you've just addressed. The morally superior. Then he's spoken to the Jewish people themselves directly and saying, bottom line, if I was to paraphrase it for the United Kingdom, I was born into a Christian family, therefore I'm all right. And he quite clearly says that is not the case. It's not circumcision in the flesh which is the issue, which is a sign of the covenant that God made with the Jews. It's the circumcision of the heart. That is the most important thing. And so you can be circumcised in the flesh, but if you're not circumcised of the heart, then it's not going to do you any good. Bottom line, it won't do you any good. And so he seems here for me to come to a crescendo where he now makes an overall statement for all, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us without fail. There is no one here this morning who in biblical terms is not actually a sinner or a sinner saved by grace, through faith. We have all sinned at some point in our life. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so, I want to talk to you about the rest of that verse. Because I think there is a beauty in it. I read this morning, when I was up a little earlier, I read this illustration of someone coming to the Grand Canyon. 
And their first visit to the Grand Canyon was to visit the top of the Grand Canyon and look out across the canyon itself. And the writer made the comment that when you look out across the Grand Canyon for the first time, it is quite breathtaking. Never been myself. I've seen pictures of it. I've been in one of those 3D image things where they fly you over the edge and you feel your feet leave you and if you're not careful, you end up sat on the floor. Um, And it's quite awe-inspiring. But the writer went on to say that the most awe-inspiring thing isn't when you view the Grand Canyon from the top, but when you view the Grand Canyon from the base of the canyon and look up. Very often when we talk about salvation, it is like us viewing salvation from the top of the canyon. We listen and hear about it and it sounds quite amazing beyond our wildest dreams. But I want to tell you, it's not until we've entered the canyon and stood on the bottom and realized that we're sinners and what that actually means that suddenly makes the view from the top only a momentary excitement, not a permanent impression. Paul here says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You will never understand the greatness of your salvation or the salvation which is on offer to you unless you understand the depth of how sinful we are. The way in which we have excluded God from our lives and we know because we're human beings, we still can have the tendency to do that and to push God to the margins of our lives. We push him out to the very edge. We're not totally anti-God. We're not anti-anything really, but we push God right to the periphery of our lives because whilst we want the benefits posthumously, We want the freedom to do what we want while we're here. Sin separates us from God. If I took a drop of arsenic this morning and dropped it in this water and then drank it, I would be very ill. Just one drop. If it was Novichok, I'd be dead. And that is how sin affects us. There's loads of nice clean water to drink here. But one drop of Novichok in there and it's all over if I drink it. Sin contaminates and destroys us. We see its evidence all around the world. We see wars. We see and experience ourselves unforgiveness. We see and know hatred sometimes. And I'm, I'm talking from personal experience. I'm not talking um, 
abstractly for myself. I know what it is. Even when I'm tried, I've tried to walk with Jesus, where sometimes my, I, I've got to places where I just I can't, I can't even bear to be in the place with somebody. Most of the time it's because I won't forgive them. Something has happened and I won't forgive them. I won't let God be the judge and the jury. I become judge, jury and executioner. Sin affects our lives. Every day, at work, at home. It affects our lives when we do things which are not pleasing to God. When we go online and we do things that we shouldn't do online. Nobody else knows about it. But God does. Sometimes we only think things. But God knows those thoughts. God is almighty. All-knowing, all-powerful. He is amazing. And this God who sees the sinfulness of man, did not want to leave humanity in a place of destruction, but made a decision to do something about it. And so we're justified by his grace. By his grace. The first truth we have to acknowledge is that we're sinners. Because once we understand that and truthfully embrace it, when we come to worship, it's not difficult to worship. We can't wait to worship with other believers and thank God for what he's done for us. It should be something which is overflowing in us. It's not determined by whether I am stiff upper lip, lip English or whether I'm um, I can't think of another, you know, I, I'm sort of Mexican or something where I, I'm, I'm for, forgive me if there's any Mexicans here or anybody with Mexican heredry or whatever it is, uh, but who are hot-blooded and they don't mind getting in and shouting. Go, or Brazilian, for instance, the football teams where they go absolutely wild, you know? Worship isn't determined by personality. Worship is determined by your understanding of what has happened for you. And yet so often we're closed in. A friend of mine not many years ago, well actually five years ago, sent me a beautiful thing for Christmas. It was a a picture frame with a really nice um, piece of modern religious art of the cross and the Nicene Creed put down the side. And he wrote me a little note on a piece of card and put it in the corner and it said this, Dave, in appreciation of our friendship and a reminder of the precious bond we share in Jesus, be blessed in his grace and grip. In his grace and grip. I love that sign off. In his grace. 
in his unmerited favor, even though I never deserved it, in his grace and in his grip. Everything we receive is by God's grace. Everything. Because he and we know that we just don't deserve his favor. We know that. But God doesn't want us to be under the pressure of that. And he has given us a hope. And there is so much hope. Tim Keller wrote, this is the gospel. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dare hope for. We know we're sinners. But by God's grace, he has given us a way to be restored in relationship to him. To be in a place where all the blessings that he wants to bestow on us can be ours. Not just a figment of our imagination. I want to ask you something this morning. How many of you are satisfied with your Christian walk? And I'm not talking about whether you're a good Christian or a bad Christian. You know, you're, you've got some sin on the borders of your life that you're entering into. Or you're, just, you're a bit cold because you're not walking as close as you once did. I'm not talking about that. But how many of us, even if we feel we've got a good relationship with God, want to go deeper with him, want more intimacy with him, really want to know the power of his Holy Spirit working in us and through us and amongst us? How many of us want to know that? Do you, is that something you want? I'm not sure. Are we there? I mean, is that what you want? It's a serious question, folks. Serious question. You see, so many of us fail to press in and take hold of what God has for us because we still feel our sin separates us from God. And it's because we don't understand scriptures like this. We feel it's too good to be true. It's too good to be true. We are undeserving, but God wanted to make a way for us to come to him. And he did this through giving us a gift. And his name is Jesus. If you've got a problem this morning, I don't have any clever answers, but I have a name that is above every name. Who is the answer to everything? Jesus. We listened to a song in one of the prayer meetings recently, I Speak the Name of Jesus. I Speak Jesus by Charity Gale. I would encourage all of you, download it on your phone. Listen to it again and again and again and again and again until the truth that is contained in it is part of your life and your experience. We speak Jesus. Jesus is the answer and God put forward Jesus, it says here, as a propitiation. I can almost not say the word. It gets a bit of a, especially as my mouth is dry, um, it gets a bit difficult. My tongue's sticking to the top of my mouth. What on earth does that mean? Well, let me read you something which gives an explanation. Because of our sin and rebellion against God, our original communion with God has been disrupted. And our persons and lives deserve judgment. 
The wrath of God in the Bible is the expression of his holiness in the face of our sin. Wrath is what our sin and rebellion justly deserve. Even though God is a God of infinite love, he does not show mercy at the expense of justice. So propitiation is the way that the loving God shows us mercy justly. In the Bible, propitiation, I wish they wouldn't have so many of those words in here. In the Bible, propitiation is not something that we provide to God to get right with him again. It is something that God provides to us that we may be justly and mercifully forgiven and accepted. And he does this at his own expense through the loving gift of his son, Jesus Christ. Nor is Jesus on the cross as our propitiation trying to get his angry father to love us. No, not at all. He is on the cross because the father has loved us before the foundation of the world and has given him as the expression of his love. Not in order to change God's mind, but as an expression of his love. In other words, what God requires, God himself provides in Christ. Is there an amen there? There's got to be an amen somewhere for that. And therefore, the good news is that God has provided for us. And when we come to him, I think Sarah prayed about a robe of righteousness and the simple story. You want to watch a story or read a story, go to Luke 15, the prodigal son. It's the third in a trilogy of, of, of short stories by Jesus. He tells of the prodigal son, a, a, a young man who, who goes away from his father and his family and he, he goes into a far country and he squanders everything he has. He has a riotous life. They knew where he was. They knew what he was doing. He got to a place where all he could do was sell himself to a farmer to look after pigs. And he was so hungry, he ate pig swill. I want to tell you, there's a lot of Christians who eat pig swill. Hoping, just hoping, instead of knowing. Instead of knowing that they are accepted by God. And he sat in this pigsty, and what happens is this. It says he came to his senses, and he would return home. I'm going to return home, and I'm going to say this to my father. I'm going to tell him I've sinned against you and all the rest of it. I don't deserve to be your son. I'll be one of your simple servants. And as this Jewish, young Jewish man is making his way home in stinking clothes, covered in the muck from the pigsty, probably smelling like the pigs themselves. His father sees him while he is a long way off. And what does it say? If you know about their clothes, they were long. He would have had to lift up his robe and he ran. He ran to meet him. And he threw his arms around him and fell on his neck. 
And his son gives the lovely speech because he knows he doesn't deserve it. And his father cries out, bring a robe, bring a ring, bring sandals. For this son of mine who was lost is found. Kill the fatted calf, we can have a party. Whoa, that's what Sarah's doing later. Gonna have a party, gonna have a party. And there's the poor older brother outside who knows where his brother's been, has got nothing but criticism for him. But the father just loved his son. His son was home. When you look in the genealogy, I think it might be in Luke or Matthew, I don't know which one it is actually, but it goes through the genealogy of Jesus. And I never saw it, but once I saw it, it said this. I'd read, the, read it for years. I have to be honest, I normally, I can be guilty of jumping over genealogies. So-and-so begat, so-and-so. It, it's a bit too much begatting for me. But at the end of this genealogy, it says, Adam, the original man, who was made in God's image, the son of God. Some of you might struggle with what I'm about to say, but what if the whole of humanity are sons of God and the only difference between us is whether we're lost or we're found? That is the only difference between us. I'm not saying that's doctrinally accurate. But it does beg the question when he goes back to the original created man, Adam, and calls him the son of God. God has paid a price not to deflect the anger of God, not to do that, but as an expression of his love for us so that we would turn and want to come to him. Truth three, I've got about five of these, I might not do them all. It says in this verse, therefore, because of the propitiation, Jesus Christ given as a propitiation by, for us, that we are then justified by his grace. Justified, what's justified mean? Here is the simple understanding of justification. Just as if I never sinned. If any of you like programs, I like sometimes on Sky to watch those programs where they take a really beat up old vehicle, which is a rust bucket being found in a barn somewhere. And they take this thing which only just about moves if, if it moves and they don't have to drag it onto a trailer and they take it back to this factory and they strip it down completely and so all you're left with is with the chassis and they start to rebuild it they sandblast it they whatever they do to get the rust off it they repair the bits that aren't 
right and they rebuild the whole thing. And when it comes out, I love the end, the beginning and the end result. It's better than those makeovers programs for people. You know, the, the end result is unbelievable. Who's that guy we used to watch his farming program? You know the guy who's dad? Matt Baker. We watched this thing about Matt Baker and his family and how he, his mother had an accident. He went back to help them. And in his, his dad, when he was courting, he had this vehicle, this really old vehicle. And it had been stood still for longer than you could think. And Matt Baker decided to search for another vehicle. And he got the, exactly the same vehicle that had been used by a gangster. And it even had bullet holes through the panels you know but they shipped it over and then he hadn't told his dad and they took it to this garage and they worked on it and I want to tell you when it came out they redid the seats in the original way that it had been done leather seats stitched you know the ribbed seats all nicely stitched and oh it was it was an unbelievable transformation that's what justification does to us. Think about that. That's what justification does to us. The old rust bucket, the sinner, the one who is awful, the one who stinks, has a makeover by the Holy Spirit. And I look like showroom condition in the eyes of the Father. He does not see the old rust bucket. He sees the showroom model of the vehicle. When I was, first came to Christ, I was given a verse to learn. Any of you had that? 2 Corinthians 5.17. Anybody know what that is? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Unbelievable. Very, very quickly, I have one minute 44 to do two truths. So here we go. If you're dissatisfied this morning with your walk with God, if you this morning have grown cold, if you this morning do not know peace in your life, if you have something which has authority over your life and you cannot break it, Jesus can. Jesus can. If he can make us like a new showroom condition model, then he can change any circumstance that you are facing today and he can fill you with his Holy Spirit. In fact, it's really exciting for me and I'm not Speaking now out of Romans, if you were to go to Ephesians, it says this. You were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh. But God, being rich in mercy, <clears throat> because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
made whole. That's what saved means, made whole and raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places. This morning, if you have come and you have come to Jesus and you have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, you are seated with him in heavenly places this morning so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. Because if we could earn it, we'd boast about it. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should do. When we come to Christ and we come and we ask God to forgive us of our sins, the ways in which we've left him out, pushed him to the margins, taken no notice of him, pursued our own interests, made our own idols, none of which have satisfied I could give you statements from famous people who have all the money in the world. I think it's, uh, I can't remember the first name of the actor called Carey, Jim Carey. He said he thinks everybody should understand what it's like to have all the money in the world, but realize that it's not enough. Not enough money, but it's not enough to make life worth anything. When we come to Christ, Ephesians tells us this. When we believe in him, this is Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. What does the word sealed mean? For me, there's an argument about, is there, because we're Pentecostal, we, we could be accused of believing in a second blessing. Right? The outpouring, the baptism of the Spirit, we call it. But we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. God seals us and sets us apart as His. That's what He does. He is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. And yet in Joel 2... And in Acts 2, we read of another thing that takes place where there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit for people who were already disciples. Jesus breathed on his disciples in the end of John's gospel and they received the Holy Spirit. He then, 50 days later or thereabouts, poured out his Spirit on them and they spoke with other tongues and prophesied. And people heard the gospel in their own language. Two things. Just sorting out your eternal destiny should not be your end point. It should be the vestibule to the rest of your life. We should seek God for the filling of his Holy Spirit where it comes and it overflows. But some of us don't think we're worthy because somewhere in us we still think we are responsible to be worthy in order to receive. Well, I'm telling you this morning, 
You don't have to be worthy in your terminology to receive. If you've come honestly to God and you have surrendered your life to him, I want to tell you, he is willing. You may lack assurance of salvation. You might struggle in a battle with sin. But you can come. There's this old chorus. Anna, I don't know... I don't know how easy you find it just to play a song. Right. Jesus, take me as I am. I can come no other way. It's an old chorus we used to sing. Take me deeper into you. Let my, make my flesh life melt away. Make me like a precious stone, crystal clear. And finally home, the life of Jesus shining through, giving glory back to you. Could you come up? For... I've gone four minutes, 45 over. For which I apologize. However, it's 11.59 and I appreciate some people might have to go. But I really just want to give you an opportunity this morning to respond to God's word. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know whether you've even made a commitment. I know some of you have because I've had, I've actually had, um, you know, conversations with you that you, you understand what it means to be saved. But maybe you're feeling a little bit cold. Maybe you feel a little bit separated from the fire. Maybe you are not being, be being filled with the Holy Spirit like Scripture encourages us to be. You know, maybe you've never ever come to God and said, Father, forgive me for my sins. I want to put my trust in your son Jesus and ask you to cleanse me from my sin and, and, and make me showroom condition. But I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. And so, I don't know what song you've chosen. What song have you chosen? Yeah, you just play something. No, we don't have to sing. Just if you want to play something, that's fine. So I'm just going to ask you, quite simply, this is probably quite difficult in some ways for some people, especially British Reserves. But as Hannah plays... I'm going to pray just into this part of the service and then I'm not going to keep it going for hours and hours, all right? I just want you, if there is something that has been said this morning, you want to receive something fresh from God, you want a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, you want to get your life right with God, you want to come for the first time and give your life to Him. You simply have to come to Him and say, God, I... I, I've cut you out of my life. I want you in my life. I want you to forgive me for, for that. And I want to become part of your family. All right? Whether you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit like an Acts 2 filling, but you would like to be received the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, I want to ask you to do something very simple in a moment. And I... 
I will pray and at some point you need to do self-examination and then I'm just going to ask if you want to receive something from God this morning please stand at that point when you stand I will just pray generally over the whole congregation of those who stand if nobody stands I will just close in prayer alright it's that simple alright I'm not into manipulation in any way it's a waste of time if I manipulate you into doing something this morning you can be manipulated out of it tomorrow I don't want it to be a manipulation I want it to be a genuine personal response to something God has said to you Father God I just want to ask this morning Lord just as we take a few moments of self-reflection I want to ask Lord that you would right now speak to each and every one of us and that you Lord what you would do is that you would tell us exactly what it is that you want to do for us this morning I pray too, Lord, that you will give us the language to ask you, to bring to you those issues of bondage, those issues where we need a breakthrough, issues of sickness. Lord, I pray that you will do those. We will come before you. And when, when there's that opportunity, that we'll stand. Not based because we don't feel worthy, but based entirely, entirely on you and what you've achieved for us through Jesus on the cross. So Lord, speak to us now, I pray in Jesus' name.